Welcome to Money Talks. Got a great show planned for you. Want to know where oil's going? Well, we're going to tell you coming up at the top of the hour with the man who got it right, Joseph Schachter. But first off, as we enter the election campaign, there's lots of talk about the economy. According to the Ipsos Read poll done for Global TV, Canada's chief concerns overwhelmingly focus on economics and finance. I mean, rising cost of living tops that list, uh, followed by rising food prices. Weak economy was number three with worries over pensions was next, but followed close behind by job losses and jobs for young people. I mean, the view of the almighty government able to control the economy and job creation is fostered in public education and other financial institutions and most of the media but it's completely refuted by history. But I guess that doesn't seem to matter. I mean, the uh, parties all promise a variety of policies that have got to center on taxation, regulation, intervention, because that's the only tools a government has. But that begs this question. I really invite you to think about it. What has increased regulation and more taxation by the three levels of government, not just federal, but provincial and municipal, what has that accomplished over the last 20 years? Because it certainly hasn't changed the quality of health care, or education, hasn't put public sector pensions on a more sound financial footing, hasn't solved the myriad of problems on native reserves, hasn't solved a lot of the municipal infrastructure problems, hasn't helped our veterans in the military, hasn't paid off the debt, or solved unemployment. So what have higher taxes and increased regulation produced? Well, they've been a recipe for bigger government bureaucracies and a two-tiered system of compensation and remuneration between public sector and private sector workers. I mean, we have the same problems, but we've got uh, much bigger and more costly government. Again, all that they've been is a recipe for bigger government bureaucracies, two-tiered systems, compensation and remuneration when you compare public to private sector. Now, here's the point again. Solutions for the rising cost of living, the weak loony, weak economy, pensions, unemployment have never in history been found in higher taxes, more regulation, and more intervention. You won't find any objective analysis that concludes that more regulation and higher taxation fosters economic growth. And that's what's needed, of course, for job creation, especially in a weak economy. When it comes to the number one concern, the rising cost of living, I think most people don't get that our tax and regulatory burden are the reason a good chunk of the rising cost of living or rising cost of goods and services. I mean, quick examples. A lot of people complain about high gas prices. Hey, but we forget that the various taxes add about, well, right now, depending on where you live, but let's just call it 40 cents a liter to the price of gasoline. Higher the price, the higher the tax take. We complain about the rising cost of housing, yet we don't seem to understand that the three levels of government adds tens of thousands of dollars to the price of a new home. you got development levies, sales taxes uh, on construction material. you got taxes on labor property purchase taxes, and there's so much more. And what about rising rents? Well, the constant increases to property taxes are going to be passed on to renters. I mean, regulation, well, my goodness, it adds billions to the cost of the things that you pay for. I mean, legislated French English labeling is an example, content labeling, and the enforcement of that standard adds millions to the costs that are passed along to consumer. You know, uh, earlier this year, we got a study done by the Canadian Federation of Independent Business, it estimated that the cost of regulation was about $37 billion a year, and those costs get passed on to consumers. And of course, some regulation is obviously necessary, but the study concluded that $11 billion in regulatory costs that are passed on to all of us accomplish next to nothing, well, other than keeping bureaucrats busy. 
And as I said, when it comes to unemployment, there's only one cure, economic growth. And that does not happen by raising taxes on business and adding more costly regulations. And I was thinking of this as we came into the election campaign. I invite you to be part of an intelligent minority who helps inform your friends, your neighbors, co-workers, that government has only three tools that impact the economy, taxes, regulation, and intervention. And all of them have proven massively detrimental when they're put to excess. And that's all we're being offered, more of each. Not good news for the bureaucracy, public sector salaries and benefits, but it's not good news for the economy and not good news for the list of concerns that the majority of Canadians are worried about. I'm going to take a break. Mike Levy's coming back. He's got the top three stories that smart people are talking about. Hey, coming up, I got Joseph Schachter for you. This is the guy who, our, our number one oil analyst, who put us on track looking at that massive decline in the oil prices uh, from above $100 down into that 42 range. Even when it, if you're a regular listener, you know that when it bounced up over 60, we made it very clear that we were getting back to test the old lows. I am going to be fascinated to see what Joseph thinks is next. He'll be with me at the top of the hour. Plus, I'm going to talk about maybe the number one kind of political issue, and yet we don't seem to know any of the facts about it. Well, I'll share those with you in a couple of minutes. We're right now very pleased to get Mike Levy back with me here. The top three things that smart people are talking about right now. Hey, Mike, what about number three? Well, you know, Mike, I don't normally listen to stock market forecasters because they just seem to be singing all from the same songbook. And I guess if they repeat their statement, their forecast often enough, they're bound to be right eventually. But when Russ Kosterich talks, and uh, he's the... Uh, BlackRock Global Investment Strategist. He's one of their chief strategists. BlackRock, the largest money manager in the world. When he says that he is looking for a stock market correction in the U.S. particularly, then I just sit up and listen. Well, you know, he's not alone. One of the things I've noticed this summer, Mike, that I've been worried about is that, uh, you know, we've seen a lot of, you know, big name analysts who've had really good track records of managing money over 20 and 30 years. There's no doubt that they're getting cautious in this marketplace. And obviously, we've already seen a major correction when you talk commodities. Uh, you look at the gold stocks, you look at the oil stocks, but uh, biotech stocks, there's been, you know, sort of a rocational decline. And uh, but as I say, I'm, I'm with you when I hear that kind of thing, it certainly gets me to stand back and assess what's going on. Well, it does, Mike, and what he's looking for, and he says historically this is what happens when the U.S. Federal Reserve raises rates at the time that they raise them, not all the noise before, and sure, that will impact the market, but the actual announcement, you can look for a 5 to 10% correction in the equity market, so when asked whether he was a buyer at these levels, because the stock market has come off, he says, no, I am waiting. I'm keeping my money dry until that Fed announcement comes, and then I'm going to have a lot better buying opportunity. Well, I think the key is, again, you talk with your investment professional, that kind of stuff, and get the, you know, just make sure you're not into more risk than you are really able to take, whether it's emotionally or financially. What's your next top story? Well, Mike, this one is quite interesting because this is what we do in Canada in natural course, but Netflix, and everybody knows who Netflix is, is offering to their employees unlimited parental leave. It's a surprise gift to their employees, and when I say unlimited parental gift, that's fathers and mothers. 
Yeah, I was going to say, <laughs> I'm sitting there, and, and, you know, we had a lot of these stories, and, I mean, that's fantastic. Uh, unlimited parental leave is, is you know, kind of mind-blowing on that, and uh, I say, good on, and where do I sign up? Well, you know, the, the thing is, as soon as I saw that, I thought to myself, Mike, unlimited, what, four years? I mean, wh- wh- where are the parameters? Well, there are parameters. It's one year of unlimited full-time leave, whether you're uh you're, you, you are the mother, whether you are the father. Mm-hmm. You can go uh, take your leave two or three months. You can come back for a couple of months, and you can take another couple of months off. And uh, it is something, as I say, is due course, a natural course here in Canada. But in the U.S., you're not seeing that kind of parental leave, that kind of mm-hmm. programs. And it's not just with Netflix, but a lot of your high-tech in order to retain their employees, they are giving benefits, significant benefits, because they hold these employees to be of great value. Yeah, and that's the key. Of course, the tech companies seem to have led the way in that kind of flexibility, which obviously a lot of people, not just obviously in parental leave, that's, you know, that's pretty obvious to identify, but other types of flexibility uh, seem to be very attractive. And as you say, the key there is when you've got the talent, they want to keep you, and they'll do stuff too keep you so that's a fascinating one absolutely but you know what they found in surveys and i think this is really interesting is that workers can take up to a year off or they can return for a few months but when you give them this kind of latitude the majority of them the great majority of them don't even take the full year they take the time that they need but knowing they have it they go back to work and they come back to work earlier than the full year what's number one uh, Mike, this was just so easy. I, I didn't even have to. When I saw this, I just said, wow, this is number one. Canadian Natural Resources blames Alberta's NDP tax hike for steep loss. This is not me talking. This is the uh, chief uh, executive uh, officer of uh, Canadian Natural Resources. Uh, they took a hit obviously because of the declining oil prices, but they took a further major hit because Alberta had raised their federal, or or, or, sorry, their corporate income tax from 10 to 12 percent. You know, it's it's a huge challenge. I think that people have to understand there's so many variables involved in the impact of any policy. You know, we want to simplify it, be able to put it on a bumper sticker, think it's an either-or world or all things are equal kind of approach to it, and obviously that's not the case, and that's why you get these unintended consequences. But I think the key here is you're in a down oil market, and we'll talk to Joseph Schachter about that coming up, you know, a down economy. Uh, you know, it's it's a difficult time to be thinking that you can raise taxes without consequences. Uh, and, Mike, in this kind of an atmosphere, raising taxes is so counterproductive because it takes from so many areas of the company. But just listen to the number here. The company attributed the loss uh, to us $579 million charge as a result of the recent hike in Alberta's tax rate from 10% to 12%. And, Mike, they posted a $405 million loss for the quarter. That compares to a billion dollars in earning in the same period last year. And, you know, when you raise taxes in a good economy, when earnings are high and they, get, they, they, they keep bumping up every quarter, it's not as painful. But to raise taxes in an economy that is suffering and struggling, I think, is so counterproductive. That's now me talking, not the president of CNR. 
Yeah, and I, I think that's a story that's going to get repeated, Mike. I don't think that's the last time we're going to hear a similar kind of tune played out of there. But it's not, Mike, and if you want to hear a similar tune right away, TELUS reported on Friday morning, and they also have done exactly the same thing. They, they have the same kind of problem because they uh, had to account for the, uh, the, the onward-going tax burden of that extra 2%. That cuts into their income also. And it's not to say corporations shouldn't pay their fair share. But again, and I reiterate it, Mike, in a downward economy, when your unemployment is higher, when you have problems with GDP growth and if not growth contraction, and you go and raise taxes on the people who are employing the, the, the employees in that province who now have to cut back on spending, who have to cut back on everything they do, is just so counterproductive to the economy of the province. It just makes you shake your head. Well, there's a lot of head shaking going on. Hey, we got a good export number this week. Maybe they'll finally, the low loonies impacting the economy. <laughs> hey, Mike, here's a quick one, by the way. We saw the loonie, you know, we looked at those June numbers of exports up 6.3% since 2006. You know what the loonie was in June? It averaged about 80 cents. We've already dropped another 4 to 5 cents since June. It's incredible what's going on in that market. Well, and, of course, Canada, that's related to oil. Canada's on sale. There is just no doubt about it. But the, the, the whole question is, is what have we got on sale, and do the Americans want to buy it? Well, I guess right now, after looking at those balance of trade numbers, we are getting cheap enough, and the Americans are buying us. And uh, if the dollar stays down at a level around here, I guess the exports will pick up and uh, it will counteract somewhat that downward spiral of oil and commodity exports. Well, lots on the plate here. Mike, thanks. Have a great weekend. You too, Mike. I'm going to come back. I'm going to talk about, uh, you know, one of the fastest ways I can stop anybody talking sort of in politics is to ask them to provide research for numbers. Well, one of the big things uh, out there is, why don't we tax somebody else? Well, there's one area of that that people don't seem to have a comprehension of what numbers we're talking about, how much it would raise. I'll share that with you when we come back. Also, Joseph Schachter, top of the hour, where are oil prices going? All of that on Money Talks across the Chorus Radio Network. Got a shocking stat for you. This is the kind of stat that I'm reading along. I do a lot of reading during the week because I don't actually have a life. But uh, and it just stopped me in my tracks. I'll share that with you at the bottom of the hour. Joseph Schachter before that telling us where he thinks oil prices are going next. We've had a damn good map here on Money Talks. We're going to share our next destination. Also, we've got Victor Adair. We've got Ozzy Jurek. So a lot coming your way. One of the interesting things, or one of the most favorite things, I'm going to read you a quote by one of the great economists of all time, Ludwig von Mises. He says in quotes, Nothing is more calculated to make a demagogue more popular than a constantly reiterated demand for heavy taxes on the rich. Capital levies and high income tax on larger incomes are extraordinarily popular with the masses who do not have to pay them. End of quote. So, of course, you know that we debate the so-called top 1%, top 5%, that kind of stuff in the country. But I'm always interested to find that people who are telling me about this stuff, rarely, I can't actually think of a single time that they ever actually knew the facts. So let me share the latest numbers from StatsCan. How many people do you think are in, well, let me start with, what price range, how much do you have to earn to be in the top 1%? Give you a second to think about it. The number, 215,700 in the latest numbers from StatsCan. Did you hear that? You're in the top 1% of income tax 
filers if you make $215,700. But here's the key. How many do you think there are in the country? Well, according to StatsCan, there's 261,365. That's going into 2012. 261,365. Think about that. Now, how much do they already pay? When someone says all we have to do is tax upper income people more, and that will solve our financial problems, well, you've got to do the numbers. How much would we get? Because they're already going to be paying income tax, property tax, sales taxes, liquor taxes, gasoline taxes, levies on different things, MST premiums in some provinces, that kind of stuff. So how much do you think is actually left? Because there's no way they are escaping with under 50% of their income taken in some form of tax. So what's left? You're only talking about 261,000 plus people in this one. That's what I think is just interesting. That's one of those simplistic bromides, as von Mises says, calculated to make a demagogue more popular. You know, when the uh, Congressional Budget Office in the U.S. ran the numbers on President Obama's uh, proposal to raise taxes on everyone over, uh, who made fa- family or individuals over 400000 in the states, the Congressional Budget came, Office came back and said, that'll raise you $5 billion more over what they're already uh, paying. Well, they had a trillion-dollar deficit at the time. That's my point. It's not a valid approach because it doesn't really solve anything. It's an ideological approach, but certainly nothing to do with finance and economics. And I don't mind what your point of view is, by the way. I'll read you one last quote here. Beyond 50%, you're not talking taxation. You're talking confiscation. And that's never going to be part of my policies, going after more individual taxes, period, full stop. Who do you think said that? Well, that was Thomas Mulcair which I find, uh, I smile because it's the political left who normally is demanding this. He's made it very clear where he stands on that. But it's just fascinating to see, you know, how empty this promise would be to solve our financial problems by taxing such a small group of individuals. No, the financial problems in government are solved by economic growth, which produces more government revenue. They've already tried the other approaches in many jurisdictions, but Europe certainly comes to mind in many countries. France may be the poster child for that. Certainly the rest of Southern Europe is also part of that. But I just thought it was interesting. Whatever your view, fine with me, but know what the numbers are. You're talking about people making, if you're talking to 1%, it's over $215,000, which, by the way, does not qualify you for a mortgage on the average single detached home in the west side of Vancouver. You know, interesting stuff. 261,000 people. I'll take a break. I'll come back. I got Thomas, Thomas Mulcair is on my mind. I've got Joseph Schachter, oil analyst extraordinaire. He'll join me. Where's oil headed to next? We'll do that on Money Talks.